Okay, and now we are going to move on to the prismatic uh, cards here. And the first one we see is Ardent Officer. This is a three cost uh, single diamond, single ruby threshold Ardent Troop Human Warrior at Uncommon. And this is a 2 2. And this one says when this attacks, Ardent Troops you control get plus two plus one this turn. Um, wow. So I know that we have talked uh, in the past about uncommons that really feel like rares and uh i'm gonna have to go ahead and say that this really feels like it's in that territory for me as well um this thing is fantastic uh what are your thoughts here matt well i i think that a lot of people including myself think this is this has to be one of the top non-rares in the set mm -hmm. for limited this thing is very strong um Heck, I mean, as a three cost four three when it attacks, e even at that, it's still insane. And then it gives all the rest of your guys uh, plus two plus one. I don't, I don't know. I, I'm not sure how to how to get much better than this at a three cost group. Right. Um, I mean, yeah, this thing is pretty absurd. It doesn't uh, ask if they are valorous like some of our other valor checkers. It's just literally buffing every single ardent troop. Uh, which is kind of ridiculous. Um, yeah, and this is just, can potentially just add like six, eight, even ten power to the board, like on its own with an uncommon. I mean, yeah, this thing is just outrageous. And uh, I think that this is going to be right at like the A level for me. Um, if I have to nitpick and say anything, it's just that. I guess this card is doesn't do a whole lot to stabilize the board if you're like behind because at that point it doesn't really block well. It's just like a three cost two two. But I mean, let's be honest here. This thing is just a powerhouse on the offense. So um, I think you are going to be happy to first pick this thing. And uh, this seems like the type of card that if I'm in one of these shards, I could uh, very easily think about splashing or switching into those shards for something this powerful. Um, so. This is going to get a solid A for me, Matt. Yeah. Yeah, I again, this almost feels like like when we talk about rares, we're kind of just, we don't really know what to say, usually because they're so powerful, and I kind of feel like this thing is essentially a rare and uncommon. Um, right. There's not really much bad to say about it. Yes, it's not great, like, if you're super far behind and you're playing this, but Again, I'm not sure how many uncommons or commons are going to be good in the face of losing. So, um, yeah, this thing is this thing is incredibly strong. You're you're probably gonna have to first and second pick this card if you want it. I, I can't imagine very many scenarios where it goes much later than that. And yeah. if it does go much later than that, I think it's a pretty obvious signal where you should be. That or there's AFKers, <laughs> but uh, yeah, singing. Uh, so. A for us. So uh, let's uh, keep moving here to Cloud Runner. This is a one-cost troop, and it is a single diamond, single sapphire threshold. So this is kind of new. Uh, it reminds me of like the one-cost dudes that have triple threshold requirements. All that, um, the whole uh, cycle of those. So it's not the same, uh, but it it's similar that you can't play this on turn one, uh, in limited at least, but it is just going to be efficient at, like, 
we would be happy to pay two for a two two flyer, right, Matt? Yeah, absolutely. And so this thing is just one cheaper, and so um, that could give us a lot more chance to play multiple cards in the same turn. And which, like, I know we've talked uh, a bit about flight being a, a little bit of a premium, and um, this card is just pretty solid. Uh, it doesn't do anything like spectacular or um, just dominate the board or anything, but it's just a really efficient threat, and I do like that. So, uh, this is going to be uh, right at a B range for me as well, Matt. Um, I think this thing is just efficient enough, and I like it enough, and I like. Uh, having multiple efficient threats that are at one and two when you are playing with a champion like um, Bishop Elijah. And so I like that. I like this guy with, with him and uh, basically anything two cost and under kind of gets, especially in diamond, it kind of just makes me raise my eyebrow, like make me consider that uh, as an option as well. So I think that gives it a little bit of upside as well, which it didn't really need, but it has it. So, this is going to be a B for me, Matt. I think this thing is ready to be. Um, you can't really ask for much more in your one in your uh, one drops. I mean, granted, again, you're not playing it on one, but it. The I think even it even if it did cost two, I probably would still consider playing it just because flight seems a little bit harder to get, and uh, and it's it's a pretty cheap threat. I mean, this thing's got a lot going for it, especially if you, you know. Uh, I can imagine a situation where you you play like a, the dust mage on on one and you play this guy and immediately use that valor on two. You have a three three flight on two. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think that is completely uh, implausible scenario. I think that's going to be a, what you see happening with this thing pretty frequently. Yeah, agreed. Um, so let's keep on moving here uh, to our next dual shard uh, card and. These all seem to be fairly high uh, power level um, because they're generally going to be a little pushed because they're kind of rewarding you for being in two shards. And so uh, these are often, it's going to be tempting for you to first pick them. It's just a case-by-case basis, of course, but just make sure we're keeping in mind that we are committing to two shards at that point. And some, I think, are just so powerful that you are willing to take that risk and then you still have to be discipline to move out if, uh, of one of those shards if, if need be. Um, but then there are some, like this Dread Demise, which I'm not so sure I am. Uh, I mean, I think the card's fine, but it's just I'm not sure if I'm going to want to just jump in all the way into both Wild and Blood for this. So let me read what the card does, by the way. This is a four-cost. Uh, this is Dread Demise, a four-cost, a single Sapphire, single... I'm sorry, a single Wild, single Blood Threshold. And this is a basic action at Uncommon. It says create three Dreadlings and put them into play. Uh, and then it says scrounge two, Shroomkin you control, get plus one attack. Which is sweet. I really, We already talked about the um, troop in Wild that we liked a lot for giving your Shroomkin attack. Um, and this does the same thing. Uh, and then it just creates three attackers right off the bat. And so it can just give you six attacks. Uh, attack worth of troops just with haste like right off the bat and then it's also pumping up any other shroomkin you have on the board at that point so if you have something that's creating them um that's pretty solid um but this one is just it's just another kind of 
piece of the puzzle for the Dreadling creator. Uh, I do like that it gives you that extra burst of damage. But I don't think this one is just as efficient on its own as a threat that like some of these other dual shard cards are. So um, I'm not saying this is a bad card. It's just it's just a little more average to me than like maybe some of the other ones. So um, Matt, what are your thoughts on Dread Demise? Yeah, I'm not I'm not at all sold on this thing. Um, it just seems like a lot for a one time effect. I mean, it's, there's nothing. There's no permanence to this ability, so mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of that in limited, personally. Um, there'll be scenarios where if you have quite a few, like automatic dreadling makers, this thing may be playable. But I mean, I I can't really imagine a scenario that where this thing is just like a world beater. I mean, and and even if it was. Like ridiculously good. I feel like it's just winning more if you are if you have a situation where this thing is doing like crippling amounts of damage. So, mm-hmm. um, I gave this thing a C personally. Yeah, I have it right at a C minus, and the reason being, uh, I don't think I will feel like the need to hate something like this. I don't feel like I'm going to see this card and think, oh man, you know, dreadlings are open because there's still other shards that you're sharing dreadlings with. Um, this will just be a card that if I am in Wild and Blood and I am, uh, I'll probably play it in most Wild Blood decks. And with just a couple of ways to create Dreadlings, this thing is going to be solid. And then um, if you are a, a bit more of a dedicated Wild Blood deck, uh, then I think this card does go up in value then. But like that's still just a narrow type of strategy to be in when we when you kind of take a look at the big picture of all the different types of strategies where I think these other ones will kind of slot into other uh, strategies more efficiently than this one does. So, or at least like pull me into those. So yeah, this is going to be a C minus for me actually. And um, we'll, uh, we'll leave it at that. Uh, Let's keep moving here to Howling Plains Alpha. And I know, I think I've talked with you about this one, Matt. I am a very big fan. This is a two cost, a single diamond, single wild threshold, ardent troop, coyote warrior at uncommon, and it's a 2-2. Uh, this says, when this enters play, create a valor and put it into your hand. And it says, when this attacks, valor's troop you control, get plus one, plus one this turn. So um, if we think back to talking about the ardent officer, this is a, a cheaper one that doesn't have nearly as big of a punch and also only hits your valorous troops. However, that is still going to be a good card, and I think this card is still very efficient on its own. I really like that it's a two-drop, so I've talked about Bishop Elijah. I think this thing is fantastic with Bishop. Um, I do like all these Attack Matters Valor Makers, and this is definitely my favorite of those. Uh, I also just really like this thing as being an efficient threat on its own. You can play this on turn two, and on turn three you can... Uh, throw the Valor on it, and then it also gets attacking as a 4-4 on turn 3. And that is aggressive. Uh, for an uncommon, it's... Uh, I think this is a, a fantastic card, Matt. Yeah. Did you play with this at all, Matt? I grabbed one, but I wasn't able... Like, I would have had to have splashed it. And uh, I, I think this card is going to be very good. Um, I think it may even be playable and constructed, personally, but... Um, it does a lot for a two-drop. I think that's really what you're looking for. Um, mm-hmm. In some ways, uh, the, 
I would again. I, I don't think there's much bad to say about the ardent uh, captain, but costing three is you know there's a lot of power in the three slot, and I feel like there's a little bit more power in the two slot this time around. But uh, yeah, this thing this thing seems like it very well may be the like most ridiculous of the two drops we've seen. Yeah, I would have to agree. Um, this is like I was trying to figure out if I wanted to go a B plus on this or if it was actually breaking into the A minus range. And I actually think I'm going to grade this uh, rate this as an A minus because I think this is just going to be the most efficient valor maker in the entire set, and it's going to be a very it's probably going to be one of the best cards, if not the best card, in your. Uh, wild diamond decks and maybe i am just um favoring it on uh I'm, I'm probably being biased here but i really really like the wild diamond valor deck a lot in my testing on the ptr and so i was really happy with it and this card was just a house in that in that deck so this is an a minus for me matt yeah i think that i have it right there at an a to an a minus um i think that the only thing, the really only, there's only one bad thing I can even think of is that it, that it has a sapphire cost in it. <laughs> That's really the that it doesn't have a sapphire. That it cost? does. That it does. That you have to have a sapphire this threshold. Is, this is diamond wild. Man. I'm sorry. I'm wow. I'm just. I apologize. That's okay. Uh yeah. Again, then I guess there is no downside. I I can't believe I messed <laughs> it up that bad. For some reason, I thought no this was a sapphire. Okay, uh, so how did you want to rate it? You said it at an A minus. I think oh. I, I think I give it an A minus. I I think that just because um, ardent officer is a little bit stronger overall, that, and we gave him an A. I guess I guess it's only fair to give this thing an A minus. But I think this thing is probably going to be super close to the same power level as the captain, right? Or the officer, excuse me. Uh. Let's move ahead here to Lasgar's Bloodsworn. And uh, we are just back-to-back with insanely powerful two-drops here. This is a two-cost, single ruby, single blood threshold, ardent troop orc warlock at uncommon. And this is a 3-3 with crush. So, all right, like, just before I even read the rest of it, a two-cost 3-3 with crush is pretty ridiculous. I mean, that is really strong. Then on top of that, you add this relevant ability, which is sacrifice another troop. This gets rage one. Are you serious? Like, I know we uh, we have talked about this card, and uh, I don't know what it is about this card, but it just seems to be like the poster child for this limited format uh, so far for me, in that whenever I'm thinking about what the format's going to be like, what, how it's going to play, like, I have to ask myself, can my deck beat this? And this is that card that comes to mind. And this is a two cost three three crush uh, with an with an upside. So, yeah, we we talk about this fast format, and this is exactly why. Like this is going to be an uncommon. So, um, I think this is going to be one of the biggest reasons to be in Blood Ruby. And uh, this thing is just so aggressive; it's it's pretty outrageous. So. Um, I have this also rated at an A-. It might just be an A, uh, but I think it's kind of close 
to the Howling Plains Alpha. The Howling Plains Alpha like has more synergy built into it, uh, and this one is just maybe a little bit better just on its own in a vacuum, and so maybe it deserves a little higher for that reason. But um, on my notes here, Matt, I just have the two side by side, and I just said I have my notes for the Alpha, and then for this thing, I, it just says see above because I really think of them uh, in the same vein a lot of the time. So this is uh, this is another A minus for me, Matt. Um, I think this thing is very strong. We discussed it before. Um, we were comparing other two drops and saying, you know, this is, this this thing is like what you're going to be comparing two drops to, which is probably not fair because this thing is just outrageous. Um, the only the only downside, I guess, to it, and it's hardly a downside, but um, it feels a little awkward in uh in its shards like Ruby Blood. I think that deck is going to be a little strange or difficult to make because Blood seems like it wants to be more of a Dreadling and Ruby seemed like it wanted to be a little bit more Valor. So if you're kind of straddling those two strategies, I'm not sure how it's going to work out. I mean, that, that might be something that we need to look at as the uh, format unfolds. But um, outside of that, this thing is a monster. Uh, yeah. With the Dreadlings, man, you just toss the dreadlings to the sky when they're done attacking or when they're blocked that's <laughs> this thing gets out of hand pretty quick agreed so um did you put a grade on it man uh, i think i'm gonna give it an a i think it is uh, an a. i think it is just I, I would say it's probably as strong as the Arden officer uh, i would agree so let's move on to our next card here, Monk of the Sacred Stone. And this is a six cost, a single wild, single sapphire threshold. And uh, this is a neutral troop, which is a little weird. Is this like our only neutral... No, we got we got some more coming up. Neutral uh, dual shard cards. But anyways, this is a Manti. Uh, or a Manti. I don't actually know how to pronounce that. But this is an uncommon, uh, like the rest of them. And this is a 4-5 for 6, which is... Uh, not great, but uh, it does something interesting. Uh, when this card enters play, put up to three target cards with cost one or less from your crypt into your hand. So this uh, has, I guess, the first thing I see when I, I think of when I see a card like this is that I'm trying to uh, get the gears turning in my head and think about all the types of ways we can kind of break this in in a combo or like some big. Uh, just big turn where you're just setting up for this one big turn and then you're just letting it all out pretty much. And uh, especially if you were in wild and you have ways to like uh, with that common that buffs your shroomkins or stuff like that, then you can get back a bunch of shroomkins and then let them all out again at the same turn. Um, the problem is like as on its own body, this is a four, five for six, which is not really that favorable, especially if we're talking about the other crazy things that are going on in this format. Um, so, I don't know. Uh, it, this does get you back Valors, which is nice, because that is an action, and it does get back actions. Uh, if for whatever reason you somehow end up with an Arcane Focus, then you're, you can get back some Arcane Focuses, which uh, I guess you should never discount. So, uh, that's a thing. Uh, Matt, how good is this card? I'm not a big fan of this thing personally. 
Um, mm-hmm. I, I think typically what you're going to get out of it is uh, a couple of dreadlings or a couple of valors. Um, I guess in theory you could get um, lifts. <laughs> yeah. Wait. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you could get glyphs. Um, you, I guess you could get Cloud Runner. <laughs> That's kind of uh, cool. But but then you're at three shards at that point. Yeah. I I don't know. I feel like this thing is just a little bit too slow. Um, yeah. I I would I would have felt a lot better about it if it was like say a, a three four for five. But mm-hmm. uh, a four five for six. I mean, at least it has a very big body, but. I think that ability is just a little too little for what you need to be doing at six. Right. If we were in maybe a little bit of a slower format, I could uh, see this raising in value because you could start getting some interesting card advantage uh, loops, possibly even going with a card like this. Um, Especially if you're able to like bounce it and then keep replaying it. The problem is we're just talking about the super aggressive format here. So, uh, I just don't know how great this will be. It's kind of cool that if you are in uh, a, a very heavy Valor deck and you have like several of these Valor creators and Valor matters and impact things, and this could get back a, a handful of Valors for you and then just allow you to keep spreading the... Like it's all of your troops, so all of your troops are getting those bonuses when they attack. Um, but if you're in Sapphire, you're probably not going to be having much of that going on but there are some stuff like that in Wild. So, um, interesting card, interesting effect, but ultimately, I have this thing at a C, um, just because I do think it's unique, and this is a unique ability, and I think there are going to be ways uh, you'll be able to find that you can get some card advantage with this, but uh, I will not be taking this highly. How do you want to rate it? Uh, I gave it a C+, plus, I think, simply because it'll... If Evo is a bit slower, I think this thing will shine. Oh, absolutely. Definitely better in Evo. Um, let's move right along here, Matt, to Puke Troll. Uh, this is going to be a three-cost single, wild, single ruby threshold, uh, a neutral, quick troop, and it's a troll at uncommon, and this is a 3-3. Three, three. So uh, that's that's fine ability, having a 3-3 three, three with for three with quick. Uh, however, this has a very relevant amount of text added on to it as well. It has this ability that says one shot. If this interplay this turn, you may pay X, and then target troop gets plus X, plus X, and crush this turn. So this thing is uh, reminds me of what was the uh, big pump spell that the uncommon from set 3, Matt? Smash the ground? Smash the ground. So this has like a smash the ground feel to it, like that uh, extra ability it has on it. However, you got to keep in mind you are having to pay three for this up front, and you have to do it in that same turn. So it's not like you can play this and then untap and use that ability. You have to use that in the same turn. But you can use it in combat to your opponent. You can disguise it from your opponent so they don't see it coming. Uh, But it also does some other things that are tricky as well. It can come in and be a surprise blocker and then pump itself and then most likely be able to take care of if you're if you're sitting on something like five six mana or five or six resources this is most likely going to be able to kill anything that your opponent is attacking with which is pretty nice uh on the ground at least uh but 
it also gets crushed, and that was one of the things that uh, that Smash to the Ground couldn't do. That I think this thing is going to help make it shine. Um, crush is just a very strong ability. We do see it now in a minor gym, so maybe we will see a lot more crush around than we're used to. But I do think that this is a very solid ability on a reasonable sized body that uh, can be a surprise blocker. This has just got a lot of little things, good things going for it. Uh, so this is definitely going to be a solid card for me, Matt. How do you want to rate yeah. this one? Yeah, I think that not only do you get a shock blocker, but you also get uh, a relevant effect. Um, I think the question isn't so much how good or bad this card is, but more along the lines of how, like how you should be using it. I think that is... Um, going to be a little bit more of the conversation around this card. I, I actually gave this thing an A-. minus. I think this thing is going to be very ridiculous uh, when used correctly. Um, mm -hmm. But I feel like there... I think that this may be one of the cards you see that is used incorrectly most frequently. Um, I, I Honestly, I feel like people may um, not read the situation and, and then use the ability uh, just wrong. I, I think that I think that this is going to be a very high uh, difficulty threshold card, personally. Yeah, I can see you. Uh, this seems like a splashable effect as well, uh, just because I like this thing just kind of as a finisher and just a way for you to push through a ton of damage out of nowhere. And it's hard for your opponent to really play around this, right? This thing gives them crush as well. Um, so, and anything where you get into a point uh, where you're potentially top decking and you're both just kind of playing off the top of your deck and you just have a ton of resources out like this thing is just going to win the game most likely um i have it at a b plus i'm not quite into the a range for me yet but um i don't necessarily think you're wrong and i wouldn't be surprised if it uh if it was going to play that role um i think it's safe to say matt that anything we rate like in the a category is on par with like a rare for us you know what i mean and yeah I, I, I guess yeah. this really does feel like a rare i will say that so um yeah i think this is a fantastic card and i i really do like cards that are just play offense and defense well and this definitely does that um let's move on here to twilight revenant this is a four cost a single diamond single blood threshold a neutral troop spirit and uncommon and this is a 3-1 and it has life drain and flight um, which are two very powerful abilities and it says pay 6 health this gets invincible this turn interesting so walk me through this card Matt because um, I think this is a tricky one and you got to think about it uh, a little more because paying 6 health just seems like yeah this is, if this is going to be aggressive there's just no possible way we could be able to activate something like that. But it comes on a life-draining body. So um, is this going to be able to, to I guess, race your opponent? Or will it be able to come down and just be uh, an impossible blocker for your opponent to get through because you can just keep giving it invincible and gaining back some health each time? What do you think of this one, Matt? Not sure how often you're going to be able to use this ability at and like I, you essentially this thing is gonna have to do damage twice to kind of 
counteract how much life it's costing out I mean outside mm-hmm. of pumping it with valors but um, I I honestly think that if you build if you build the deck with this correctly and you and you, you play in a way that you can um, get an attack off or two and maybe use this thing to protect itself once but man it's it's just really six life in a format where you have three three crush at two um mm-hmm. it's just so scary i mean you, you if you if you like mistake ability if you mistake with this trigger like once you you very well may seal the game for your for yourself yeah that, that's i agree very scary to me but again if you i feel like Especially in the right with- situation this thing can just take the game over for you as well imagine if your opponent has a bounce spell in response to this I, that just seems like a blowout like to you activating the ability yeah Oh yeah, I mean, it also doesn't stop the handful of minus defense uh, things we've seen, right? So, uh, uh, and we saw we saw one that seems like a premier removal spell in blood. Yeah. Um, but hopefully you're in blood, so maybe that will be a little less chance that you'll run up against it. But yeah, We're, in, interesting card. Um, how do you want to rate it? I gave it a C. Um, I won't be shocked to lose to this card, and uh, I won't be shocked if I lose with this card because I've paid six life and it was a mistake and I just killed myself essentially. Um, but mm-hmm. I, there's a there's a lot to this card, and it's not only like you said it's very interesting, but like I think if you if you create a situation where this thing can flourish, it's going to flourish, and it will probably get you some victories right i think this card has the potential to just take over the game and uh, there's something to be said about that but there are also a lot of situations where your opponent um, will have an answer for it and there are common ways for your opponent to have an answer for this which does make it a little scary for me and then like i said uh, outlined earlier bounce is going to be really real against this thing i think you have to be incredibly careful against sapphire players with this card uh, especially since they're also going to have flyers as well. So I think this card is just going to be almost downright bad against Sapphire. But um, I think against most decks, it's still going to be a fine card. And I think that one thing we kind of forgot to touch on here is that this does uh, really benefit from putting Valors on it. And like, let's say you're able to play this, and you've either been holding onto a Valor or you're about to get a Valor in the following turn. You can uh, you know, hopefully pay six life up front to protect it like once if they try to do something to it and then you get to untap and then start putting valors on it and then maybe in a turn or two you're able to activate it again if you have to and then hopefully your opponent just won't have a way to be able to deal with it at that point um i don't know how realistic that is but um it still seems like like there's just such a a high ceiling on this and i think that given the right tools and the right um way to to make your deck i think this could potentially take over the game so I have it at a B minus, Matt. I think I'm a, a little higher on it than you are, but um, it's a tricky one, and I, I definitely one of those cards I'd like to uh, get a little more play with and see how it uh, pans out over the course of the format. And um, I don't think either of us would really be that surprised if it if it's a little more powerful than we give it credit for right now, just because it has that potential. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is a. I, I would say this is one of the cards that I would 
want to have a deck that I can play with. I mean, I think this card is super cool. I uh, I think the effect is a little bit uh, different. We don't really get to see a whole lot of cards where you can uh, essentially use your uh, health to as a resource, uh, and this is one of those, and I, th- I think it's very cool. And I'll, I'll be more than happy to play this in the correct deck. I just think that the difficult to achieve. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, let's move right along uh, to Wrong Turn. This is uh, a pretty fun card. I got to play with this one. Uh, this is a four-cost, single ruby, single sapphire threshold. Basic action at uncommon. It says put up to two target troops into their controller's hand, and they get at the end of your turn, if this is, uh, they, this text gets like added onto that card. So um, and in quotations, it says at the end of your turn, if this is in your hand, discard this uh, until the start of your next turn. So basically, um, they get the text printed on them that you would see on uh, a card that was drawn from Benvolio. So basically, this is able to bounce two things to your opponent's hand. And then unless they have the resources, uh, you're kind of either one, you're forcing their hand to make the that exact play or they're going to lose cards. Or hopefully you're bouncing like a three drop and a four drop and then it's like turn five or six and they don't have the ability to recast both. And then you're uh, basically trading one for one at that point. Plus you're up quite a bit on tempo because you have paid four and they have basically had to pay four and four and, th- and three because they've played for their three drop, they paid for their four drop, and they've had to repay for their four drop. That's a total of 11 mana. You have to just spend four to in order to make this happen. And um, hopefully, minus the turn you take off the castus, you're able to advance your board state in in while all that's going on. So... I think this card is a lot better than people are giving it credit for because I saw these going really late, and I think that this is a really strong tempo play. And uh, worst come to worst, this is still a way to bounce two troops with one card, even if they are able to replay both of those on uh, your their next turn. You have to keep that in mind that uh, that's there's not a whole lot of ways in the game to bounce multiple things at once. Um, it, that's not symmetrical. So, yeah, um, I think the the worst thing to say about this card, Matt, is that it's in Ruby and Blood. I just don't know how synergistic uh, those two shards are together. It, it, I played it, and it felt a little awkward. There wasn't a lot of synergy going on. There was just um, some high-power tempo plays that I had like this because I had two of these in my deck. Um, but they were real. I was really impressed with the card itself, and uh, we can't hate the card for that. Uh, but like I said, I think the, the the worst thing about this card is just the two shards. Then, what are your uh, yeah? Are your Ru- thoughts on? Ruby Sapphire appears to just not have a whole lot of uh, in inter shard synergy. I guess is the way I would like to put it. Um, right. But that being said, this thing is this thing seems very strong. Um, I understand that it's a basic action, so you know that that is makes it a little wonky to be uh, returning things to your hand during your turn. And that, I mean, essentially, at four costs, this is going to be a large majority of your resource, resources for a whole turn. But uh, I mean, realistically, it, it's like you have kind of 
rewinded them back two turns in some ways if you if you're returning like big cost threats too and mm-hmm. i mean that that's not uh, that i guess that's kind of ignoring the real ridiculous part that this thing w- with the i wouldn't even say like with a specific situation i think on average this thing says return to um creatures to their or i'm sorry two troops to the owner's hand and then they have to discard one i mean i think that is right. pretty much how it's going to work out Granted, again, they get they get to pick which one they're going to keep, but that's a pretty good effect. Probably eight out of ten times, I think that's going to be the case. Honestly, yeah, I, I think that is going to be uh, the. You know, I mean, granted, if you're on like turn like twenty and <laughs> you guys are both sitting there flooding out, then this thing's not great. But I think but then realistically, you can still hold on to it it's... for maybe to set up some type of turn to win with it. So it's not like yeah, it's absolutely, useless. I understand. So, yeah. I, just want to make uh, yeah, that but, that note, you know. Yeah, I like it's, like you said, eight out of ten times, I think you're going to be getting them to discard one of the two cards you're putting back in their hand, which is an insanely good effect. I mean, that essentially makes it read as a bounce spell and as a removal spell in one card, and and that is anytime your card more than one thing, usually that's very good. And the, if you're if you're using one card, even if it's just like time flux two things, that's still really really good. I can't quite put my finger on it either, but I just really like. Um, there's something to be said about the ability to kind of force your opponent's hand on the following turn, and so if you can uh, set up s- s- some board states where they maybe either need to deal with something or um, they're Maybe even if you can use it defensively and they are going to kill you on the next turn, uh, you're able to just slow them down um, significantly enough to be able to set up blockers in a way that uh, would make the game go longer. Um, and then also aggressively, this can be used very effectively aggressively as well. So um, there is, We should also make note that there are a lot of things that like create val- uh, troops that create valors when they come into play, and so it feels quite awkward to be bouncing those. Um, and then obviously bounce spells are not nearly as good at, at, uh, basic speed. And, um, really the reason for that is that if your opponent is going to put something on their troop, uh, you can react to it and respond to it. And that is, can lead to a lot of blowout. So you don't get that option with this. However, it still does a lot of other things. I think, uh, pretty damn effectively that, uh, I, I'm going to put this at a B matt um the only thing that's holding it back like i said is just the just the shards itself yeah i i I have it at a b plus um but yeah i i wouldn't i i don't fault you for putting it just a b because of because of the thresholds right and um and don't get me wrong like this is i i love sapphire and ruby like those are two of my favorite shards and i like playing those types of decks it's just unfortunately uh, at first glance, this does not appear to be a good limited format for those two shards. But uh, let's move on here to our last uh, uncommon here. This is Zintoff's Zealot. This is a two-cost, a um, single sapphire, single blood threshold. Uh, and it's a underworld troop. And this is a Venom Cleric at uncommon. And it's a 3-2. So a 3-2 for 2 is always going to be solid. I'll be happy to play those. And it says, when this becomes blocked, put the top card of each opposing champion's deck into your hand. 
it loses, excuse me, it loses all thresholds. So this has the potential to become card advantage because um, if, and it's aggressive. So you can play this like right on turn two and then start getting in with it. They can either just start taking three over and over or they'll eventually have to block it. Hopefully like even be in a position where they're um, having to trade for it. And then at that point you're drawing a card off of your opponent's deck, which is uh, pretty solid. Um, there are definitely some things we need to note about this card. One is that this does not trigger when it is blocking, or else that might have just been too good. But uh, it is in two shards that I think generally want to be blocking, honestly. Uh, Sapphire and Blood tend to be a little more on the controlling side as far as the shards go. And so uh, I don't necessarily think they are going to be in too many situations where they can afford to be very aggressive. Uh, but potentially with a, cards like this, they can be more aggressive. Um, it's an interesting card. I don't know if this is has quite sold me on uh, just like pulling me into these two shards, though. But I do think it is a strong card on its own. Um, yeah. A lot of things going on with this card that are, I think, a lot of subtle things that are just, uh, like, a lot of different things are going on. I can't really explain it, Matt. Can you uh, help me out here? Like, talk me, through, walk me through with this card. Um, yeah, I think this card is interesting in a lot of ways, uh, just because of its ability. Um, if you just look at its. Uh, its stats to cost ratio it's a three two for two that seems very very good mm -hmm. um even even outside of the really awkward ability um but i think i honestly i think this ability is quite good um when this becomes blocked for the top card of each opposing champion's deck into your hand it loses all thresholds so um at worst you're you know you're getting an extra shard i mean in a lot of ways, it, it does say when this is block draw a card. It's just that you're drawing cards off the top of their decks. So you, you're getting. Um, it, it feels a little bit more random in that mm -hmm. in that regard, simply because you you should know essentially what cards you can draw in your deck. I mean, you don't need to have a like a complete list sitting there in front of you, but you sh you, you should have a general idea of what your deck's going to do. And the problem with drawing cards off their deck is you could be drawing things that are synergetic to what they're doing and not what you're doing. So they may be a great deal less powerful without their, uh, without cards to turn them on or their, the other parts of their, their, uh, synergy. And a, a lot of, a lot of the cards that do need synergy, I mean, they really do need the cards that kind of go with them. So, and they could be a little bit weaker than they probably should be. It's just, generally as how the card works but i think this thing is quite good um i'm actually kind of surprised at how much it does for its cost mm -hmm. and uh i'm a big fan of this thing i actually rated it quite highly um the only thing that really kind of worries me about this thing is that uh it it's uh t its defense is a little low i guess it does it, it and when it gets blocked it's pretty much going to die and you're not really in the shards to try to combat trick it to stay alive so i think you're pretty much getting this effect once so even then if it replaces itself 
I'm perfectly fine with that, especially for a 3-2 for 2. Right. And this is going to be able to trade up in some situations. Um, and even if this is just trading like for your opponent's Lasgard's Bloodsworn, uh, it's done its job at that point. So um, we've got to make note of that. So um, I had this at a B minus, Matt. Maybe you have a little higher. I, 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 it, it's not a bad card by any means. I just uh, wanted to point out that it's not all perfect and it's not all gravy. Uh, but it still has a lot of good things going for it. So that's going to be a B minus for me. I gave it a, I gave it a B. Um, I think it may very well be a B plus. Uh, you're going to have to... I wouldn't say you're going to have to play around it, but it does take a little bit of setup to really get it to work if you're trying to get more than one card. If you're if you're fine with it essentially saying 3-2, that when he dies, you're all a card for two, I think... That is, on average, what it's going to be, and I think that's a very solid two-drop. Yeah, I hear you. Um, so that is going to do it for all these multi-shard uh, cards here. They're obviously all strong and playable to some degree, some more than others. Um, there's a couple of A's in here, for sure, and uh, that excites me. I, these are definitely some of the uncommons you're going to want to be opening. Uh, and if we remember anything back from set... Uh, four four three. We were. Uh, it seemed like the drafts were often defined by the uncommons that you opened, and those were the cards that were kind of putting you into color combinations, so to speak. And so I can imagine that these, a lot of these uncommons feel that powerful, uh, and they're going to likely be doing uh, a similar thing in this format. Um, but I I wonder, Matt, how how much the uh, knowledge of knowing what a shard combination, how good or bad it is going to be, is going to affect the way that we draft and value these cards. I imagine it has to have some effect. I just wonder, like, how much? Like, are we... I Do you think we'll get to a point where we see let's say, a card like Wrong Turn? Like, we've both uh, sang praises about it, basically, but can you imagine that Sapphire Ruby will just be so bad that it'll just won't be draftable or um is it just going to be putting you in awkward situations where you know you're going to be playing a somewhat subpar shard combination just to make use of powerful cards like that or is it too early to to tell i don't know (laughs) what do you what are Um, your thoughts on that i mean i think it's i think it's very much too early to tell until you actually get to play several several drafts to not only see how people are drafting but also to see how the format plays out, how consistent the strategies are. I mean, we could talk about how fast everything is, but if the deck isn't consistently fast, so like let's say you have, you know, you have a bunch of bolt spasms, but if if you can't always get that ridiculous curve that we've talked about in the past off, then I think that is going to essentially dictate how playable some of these shard combinations are i i really feel like for example like you said the the sapphire ruby because it doesn't have a whole lot of inner shard synergy i think it'll be a, i think you're gonna have to play it a little bit slower um and kind of play with the ruby removal in a controlish style and again i'm not sure how if that'll work or how good that'll be but um I think I guess it's really will time will tell honestly. 
but yeah, Fair to answer to answer your original question, if I think that these these shard combinations, if you see and you pick up on that, like shard combination whatever doesn't feel very good or seems a little bit weak, I think it immediately impacts the playability of those cards. Definitely. Um, so, Matt, let's go ahead and finish out with our shardless cards here. Um, you need a second to pull that up? I got them up already. Okay, so uh, the first one we have is the Altar of Nilzan. Uh, this is an interesting card. This is a two-drop, and this is an artifact at Uncommon. And it says, once per turn, when you play a socketed card, draw a card. Um, I actually just now uh, realized that had the tech once per turn. I don't know if I had ever read that before, but I, I doubt that's going to make a huge difference in the long run. But uh, it is something to be aware of. Uh, it also has this other ability. One shot, you can pay three and create an effigy of Nilzan and put it into your hand. So, for those who don't know, an F Effigy of Nilzan is a three-cost artifact troop construct at common. Uh, it's a 2-2, two -two and it has a socketable miner on it. And uh, it's going to give you, if I understand this correctly, Matt, it's just going to give you a random miner socket that you have the threshold requirements for. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, I, I would assume, well, create an Effigy and put it in your hand. I, I'm not That's sure how that this that... effect usually works, isn't it? On, pyra on the pyramid, on the temple, the tomb. I, mean, I guess we could bring it up real quick and look, but I was under the impression that uh, it had that rider written onto it. That it would be one that you max if it did have that? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay, so I don't know. I, I, I could be totally wrong about that, and I'm sure uh, we have some listener like yelling at their... Uh, their iPod or whatever they're listening on, like the saying is, no, you idiots, it's this. But um, how do you want to try and evaluate this card? Uh, or is that going to make a huge difference for you? Okay, so it's written the same way as the tomb. Okay. So I assume it's giving you thresholds you can actually play. Yeah, it's. it seems like that's the direction they're going in with effects like this. Um Regardless, I think like, this thing, all, this I thing think is... all of the Nilzans do that, right? There'll be one that you can use. Oh, no, that's not true. Like the ones that create random Nilzans, like uh... maybe it just felt that way because you typically played Tomb in a five or four shard deck, so you typically had all the. I don't know. Oh, I guess boy. this is something you have to test. I can't remember. I... But I think about it. I'm leaning towards you. Very well, could get one that you aren't allowed to play, but. Hmm. Um... So yeah. tell me about this card, Matt. Um, I think I think this thing is still a decent card. It is a cost thing that, while it does nothing, that you know when it comes into play per se, you may need a little bit of setup for it. But it sets itself up so it essentially not only gives you a random dude, and and obviously the random dude may or may not just be not good, but um, you a guy and that guy will draw you an extra card so that i think that is an acceptable card i don't yeah. i don't have anything wrong with that um again like i said you're going to have to a little i guess you're you might have to get a little lucky with the the troop you get but and then if you build around this thing a little bit and you get a couple of the socketed troops who are good i mean that's a this thing can 
really pay off for you with card advantage. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's 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 a little slow, but I think the card advantage is definitely there. And uh, outside of Sapphire, it didn't really seem like there's a whole lot of card advantage in this set, Matt. So uh, I do like the fact that uh, you can fit this into any other shard combination um, as a source of card advantage for you, um, which is uh, always important to have some type in your deck, I think, uh, especially for sealed. Um, and I like that you can hit get hit multiple times off of this. Uh, this was bugged on the PTR, so I didn't really get to see it, it to its full effect. But uh, I can I can only hope to imagine that they will have that fixed by the time uh, the uh, servers go live. But um, interesting card. Uh, how do you want to rate it? I think I I wrote a C, but I think that it could easily be better than that, depending on the the construction of your deck. Um, I think again. If you can get a couple of uh, socketed guys, like we, we saw a couple of socketed guys that I think we both agreed were quite good. If you if you have if you happen to have a handful of those, maybe you just slot this thing in there. It kind of plays. Uh, I would I would assume that you can make it kind of play like a what was the name of the the two drop elf that let you draw cards and you play a five cost. I think you um, Sylvan performer. Performer. I think that thing. I think this thing sits in a similar fashion to that card. Uh, I agree with you. I think this might even be better because um, they're going to be cheaper. The troops that you are casting uh, are the cards that you're... It's, it doesn't even care about troops. Like It could just be a constant with... Uh, I'm sure there's there's going to be rares and stuff we'll see that are going to be like constants with uh, sockets on them. And so those will even hit off of them. Um, we're going to get to a couple of... Uh, artifacts here in a minute that are going to have sockets and so um it's hitting off of all those but it's it can also be potentially something that's cheaper so that you can draw the card and immediately use it at the same turn uh which is kind of interesting um but i think this thing is a b minus and uh i might be a little bullish on it a little too high uh but i really like all the text that's written on the card and i like that it even draws you or like it basically gives you a card uh, once you dump some mana into it a, a, a troop and then that will then draw you a card once you play it so interesting one um we'll have to keep our eye on this uh i'm curious to see what other people think about this card as well um so let's move on to our next card and i'm just going to go ahead and do both of these back to back because i don't i kind of want to talk about them both sure. uh, and the, this is the ardent decree and it's um uh, and its distant cousin, or not so distant cousin, the Underworld Decree. Um, and Matt, will you do you mind reading this card real quick? Okay, so our decrees are one cost artifacts. Um, they say when this enters play, gain the threshold of their faction. So for Ardent, you'll get Diamond, Ruby, or Wild. And for Under, or I'm sorry, for Huh, my thing closed. Uh, for the other one, you get under, or I'm sorry, blood, sapphire, or wild on the underworld decree, and then they both have a basic one. The ardent decree is basic one: sacrifice this, create a valor, and put it in your hand. 
the underworld decree says basic two um sacrifice this create two dreadlings and put them into play okay sorry about that so these are um these are pretty solid ways to help you i think get toward uh your triple threshold requirements that you'll have in your deck uh, oftentimes. But I really like both of these because they're both promoting um, ways to create Treadlings or Valor, which are two very real strategies that I think we're going to be seeing a lot of. And um, I think these are real efficient ways to be able to do that. Plus, it's also helping you fix your shards. So uh, I like that a lot. Um, I don't know how much splashing we're going to be doing for third shards in formats where there are all these triple requirements going around. Uh, maybe you can just kind of pass on those in order to uh, to you know play something like this to splash for a third. I don't really know how viable that'll be yet. I'll have to get a little more practice with that, uh, especially in, in Evo and whatnot. So um, I think these are both really solid, and I think I'm going to grade them somewhat similarly if anything the ardent decree i think is actually going to be i don't know they're both similar like the ardent decree only costs one to sack and then the underworld decree costs two and i think we did note this on the uh champion review but there is the one sapphire champion that uh you can create a three three artifact uh for four charge power if uh you have ex three or more artifacts in your Crypt, which you can do with your Underworld Decree, like, all on its own. I really, really like that effect on that. Um, and I think you're going to want to be looking for a fairly high number of ways to create Dreadlings. Uh, but the Ardent Decree is also nice just because I think it'll just slot into just about any Diamond, Ruby, or Wild deck. I think it'll be playable. I don't know if you'll uh, hopefully be able to do better things, but I don't know. Interesting. Um, Matt, what are your thoughts on these, and how do you want to grade them? Well, I think a key part to... what I think you missed a key portion of what these things can do, and what, mm -hmm. what that is is that you were talking about fixing with them to maybe put in a third shard. I think you can use these things to make it so that if you're in two shards, you may be able to play a triple threshold. Can you can you play if you're playing say sapphire and blood? Can you play a triple sapphire and a triple blood card? If I don't. You have I don't like think. This? I think you are much more likely to be able to do that. I, I don't. I, again, it it's going to depend on how your deck is functioning. Like if we're talking like you have a ton of maybe like one or maybe just a ton of ones, and then you're trying to play one th one or two threes of one or the other, or maybe one of both. I, I think that. With this thing in particular, you would be able to achieve that more realistically. Whether or not that realistic chance is enough to actually maybe risk the your deck playing correctly is, is one thing or another. But I think you definitely opportunity to play both if you have something like this. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. I kind of see them as the... Uh, the infusion devices we had that from uh, set four, where they came, they gave you your threshold, and then you could use them to do something else. I mean, they don't give you the charge like the uh, infusion devices did, which is a little bit of a drawback. But 
They seem a little more synergistic, though. Yeah, they, they seem the much more synergistic with they're trying to do than uh, in how the ones that we had from set four worked. But I don't know. I, I, I like these things well enough. Uh, I think that you'll be playing these things uh, a little bit more um, easily in, in some decks than in others. Like if you have a super strong, or let me, let me rephrase that. If you have a deck where you have a, a lot of things that, would like dreadlings, but you kind of missed out a little bit on your uh, your dreadling generators. I think this thing is perfectly fine to slot in there as another way to make a couple dreadlings for you. Granted, it's, it's, again, it's a one-time effect, so you have to um, keep that in mind when you are judging what these things do. But I don't, I don't have a problem with these things, especially at one cost. I mean, how do you feel? Yep. I mean, how do you feel? No, I, they I, are I definitely. Do you think that one is? I, I just wanted to know that one was speed? cheap. Like this yeah, the I, format. Yeah, absolutely. Like, what more can you ask for? <laughs> um, and especially when we're looking at trying to play, I think gonna, what are going to be some really greedy shard bases. I think uh, these are going to be necessary, um, but. You know, these are helping us make that happen. Um, I, th I think these are fine. I'm just trying to figure out, kind of pinpoint where I want to grade them. At. Uh, I have them somewhere between a C and a C plus. Um, but there's also between three packs. Maybe we'll just be able to end up with, we'll be able to end up with them if we want them, and we we maybe we don't have to prioritize them that highly. I'm not quite sure. I think it's just going to be a case by case basis and just. I think if your deck is really wanting uh, some juggling creators or valor creators, then you can uh, then choose to take them a little higher. Yeah, yeah, I, I I feel the same way you do about these things. I think they're going to be fine. I'm just, um, I guess the real question is where where do you take them? Do you take them? Uh, are you going to take them in a similar fashion? Sometimes the way you took the. Uh, infusion devices from set four or do you think you can wait yeah, much later so. into the packs to be taking these things I, I don't know so there with the infusion devices you had maybe a higher chance of getting the one you wanted just because other people wouldn't really mess around um with yours because they were single started but these are there's only two of these and they're spread out amongst everyone so there's a much higher chance that other people are going to want to pick them up so i don't really know yet i don't have the answer to that question yet i think we'll just have to kind of wait and see so uh yeah did you want to put a grade matt uh, i put these things at a c i think uh i don't want to be taking these things too early um if you do i think you're going to get power you're going to be missing premium cards that are in the uh in the packs, I mean, we have talked about how the power level of this set has felt much higher than in other sets. So I think because you're you're going to have to be a little bit more cautious about when you're taking these things. But um, I, I think they're very good. Um, you're definitely going to, if you want to attempt to play like triple threshold on two different things, I think you're going to have to uh, these things and playing them. Agreed. 
Uh, I think we've said enough about it, so let's move on to our next one, which is Dread Launcher. Uh, this is a cool Dreadling creator. This is just a three-cost artifact at common, uh, and it has basic pay one and exhaust this, and then create a Dreadling and put it into play. So uh, it's not necessarily the most efficient way to do it, and I don't think that's why you would take this. You just take this because it's consistent. Uh, it is going to be able to create a Dreadling every turn of the game after you uh, after you get it out. So um, I think that the way you would approach a card like this is just have to ask yourself how important and how badly does my deck uh, want want dreadlings and just really need dreadling creators because um, I don't think this is going to be the premier way to create dreadlings. Um, but consistent is consistency is definitely the key with this card. Uh, what do you think of this guy, Matt? Um, let's see. I think that just because, uh, like you said, I think the consistency is king when it comes to this card. I think really where you're getting your uh, your value off of this thing, being able to just get you that one dreadling on something that's a little bit harder to uh, deal with per se because it is an artifact. But um, yeah, I, I like this thing well enough. Um, the, I guess the question is, is uh, the the one thing that would worry me is that you're using your your three cost or your maybe like your turn three to just play an artifact that doesn't affect the board. So that very well may uh, that may be a little bit too much to ask for when it comes to the uh, the damage you may be taking the turn after this mm -hmm. thing. So I, I think that's your one. That's the one thing you need to consider with this thing. Yeah, I agree. Uh, does something like this allow you to play more scrounge cards than you normally would? Or do you consider, I guess a better question is, would you consider a cap to the number of scrounge cards that you would play in your deck just because you don't want them to overlap too much? Or uh, if there, if there is indeed a like a cap to them, would a card like this increase the number of that cap? I, I I would assume it would just because it, how consistent it is, but I'm not. Yeah, I, I agree. I guess I guess the real. I mean, this is this is a conversation for a different time, but I think the conversation more is what the cap is and what you would need to increase the cap. And if you know X amount of dreadlings is increasing the cap, I think this thing will consistently get you a lot of dreadlings, so it very well may push you over that threshold to increase your cap of how many you can have. Mm -hmm. Cool card. Um, how do you want to rate it? Um, I, I think that since it is a little stickier than some of the other Dreadling creators, uh, that it's, it's, it's a very... I would say it's above average, but because it does require... A little bit more of a consistent cost like you're gonna have to use the one every turn to use it i gave it a c plus but um again i think you have to be kind of careful with this card and you, you need to recognize that if that your your turn one and your turn two is going to have to give you enough board presence that you can use your three to get this thing out there kind of in the same way that coins of kismet set four kind of felt makes sense um i'm gonna have it at a c myself uh but 
I think there are times uh, when you need to ask yourself when you see this card running around uh, if your deck really wants this card. And I think the some decks are going to want it more than others, and you need to be able to address that. And then if you do need it, then you can maybe value it a little bit higher. So uh, let's uh, let's keep moving here, Matt. To Fiend of Nilzon. This is a socketed socketed troop. Excuse me. Uh, that we're talking about. This is a two cost. This is an artifact troop construct at common, and it's a 1-2, and it has a socketable miner. So this reminds me a little bit, Matt, of the one drop that we saw in Sapphire that was just a 1-1 one, one for 1 that had a socketable miner. And I was kind of thinking of this card in a, in a little bit of a similar fashion. Um, it does cost one more, uh, but it gives you one more one more defense, which, I mean, I don't know if I, that's necessarily better. I think I might just want one that's cheaper. But if, uh, again, I think if my deck is just needing another way to create a Dreadling, create a Valor, uh, I think that's why you want to play this. Because outside of that, I don't really know if you want to play this with any of the other minor gems. Uh, at least nothing that's jumping out to me. Do you uh, do you agree with that line of thought? Yeah, I, I'm just sitting here mentally checklisting through all the minor gems. I, I, I think that those are the two that you are going to relevantly use. Um, maybe in fringe scenarios, you can put the diamond plus two defense gem and make it a one four for two. Good, point. but uh, that's pretty. That's still a little bit underwhelming. Right. Um, and but, even 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 just making a valor, I, I think that is not that great either. Okay. I, I think that I guess the best thing would be doing with this thing, I guess, would be to make the the dreadling. Yeah. yeah. This thing just seems very mediocre to me. Um, maybe even a little below mediocre, but I just like the fact that uh, this is something that you have access to if you need it. And I don't think sure. you'll have to value it or anything like that. It, it's uh, just going to be one of those things where you're going down the checklist of your deck requirement needs. And sometimes you'll say, hey, I just I really do need uh, this one gem so I can get to the exact number of Dreadling or Valor creators that I want. And then uh, that's why you would take this. But outside of that, I think I'm just going to be passing this thing most of the time, honestly. Yeah, I think the other guy was good because he cost one. I think two is just a little mm -hmm. bit too much for this. Yeah, agreed. So uh, this is going to be a D plus. For, it's it's somewhere between a D plus and a C minus. It just kind of I think depends on how you kind of think about it. Where do you want to rate it? I gave it a D. A D. Yeah, I think it's a D plus for me. Um, there are. Worst things to be running in your deck if you just really need like a twenty third card as well. Um, Absolutely, yeah. There, there's there's worse, but there's also much better. Yes, absolutely. Let's move on here, Matt, to Mecha Filk Chimp. This is a one cost artifact troop robot beast at common, and it's a one one. Uh, it also has this ability. At basic speed, you may pay one, sacrifice this, and revert target card. Um, here's another very cheap way to revert something. Uh, it does cost two, but you can do it over two turns. Um, but I don't really know how important that is. 
So the reason I like abilities that are tacked onto troops, so if we look at like its big brother and the Mecha Filk Apes, uh, I liked it because it had attack and defense on it. And so it was able to tussle in combat and then also had this ability to do something relevant if, uh, if it needed to. Uh, and that one didn't require you to sacrifice it. And this one does, and that really kind of stinks. Uh, but what really stinks about this car, I think, man, it's just, it's a one-one for one. I just, I don't know. I mean, it's different from that gem creator because then you're actually be able to uh, parlay that into some kind of synergy or even potentially card advantage in some ways. But like this one, I just don't think you can. Um, I don't think this card is playable, Matt. Yeah, I think in fringe scenarios you may bring it out of your reserves, but I I don't I don't know. I'm not I am not very much sold on this guy. Um if your opponent is playing in such a way where he's putting all of his valors on one guy, then I guess you bring him out of the reserves, but uh I I would definitely take a look at your other ways to do that before looking at this guy. I mean, he is cheap. He can be played in any shard, so that that gives him a little bit of like pro but i think the cons just a little bit outweigh uh the pros on this guy i'm I'm not a big fan i gave him i gave him a d but at least he had he does have a role so i guess that's the that's the nice thing to say about him right yeah i'll pass uh this is going to be a d minus for me i guess like you said um there are going to be times probably honestly not that often but Guess there are going to be some times where I uh, will want to bring this out of the reserves, but uh, I think those are going to be fairly few and far between. So, D minus here, Matt. Did you put a grade on it? A D. Yeah, I think he's. I think he's just a solid reserve D. Sure. Let's keep it moving to Patrol Bot. A uh, this is going to be a three cost neutral artifact. I guess all of these are going to be neutral. Uh, a three drop artifact troop robot at common and it's a 2-1 with flight uh which is okay i think this is uh i think that we're coming from a set where there were a bunch of phantoms running around um random phantoms where there doesn't seem to be nearly as many uh, in the set it's like if you think about all the things we reviewed so far uh the one exception obviously being that champion but um, there's a lot of other really solid diamond champions, so I don't know how much play that one's going to be seeing, especially since it's uh, the most restrictive one at triple diamonds threshold. So I think this one is going to be fairly safe from phantom blockers. And so um, I don't think this one is going to be all that different uh, from like the 2-2 flyer for three and sapphire. Uh, but this one can also be played in any other shark, which is kind of like the trade-up, trade-off you get for having one less defense. So, um, yeah, if we think back to set four and three, and we're talking about context, I don't think this card would really be that great. Like, it would be something you could play, but uh, there would also be a lot of situations that it really wouldn't do a whole lot, where I think this, those situations have, uh, and those different, those board states have all gone down uh, in comparison with this set so i think this card's fine sure do you uh do you agree with all that yeah i think i think he has a little bit more play in this in this uh 
format simply because, like you said, the Phantoms are going to probably be much more few and far between. Um, that being said, though, uh, I guess I guess I'm trying to think of the scenarios where you really want this guy. Uh, I guess the Valor decks it gives you as any threshold to have a, a flight guy to put your Valors on, but. I mean, we saw what we saw. A two-one flight can't block except for flight troops and uh, sapphire for two. So, uh, I mean, you're you're paying a little bit more to get the rider off and make it available to anybody. I I, I think I'm okay with this thing. Um, again, you don't want to be picking this thing very high. I would assume you could get it pretty late in your picks. Um, in Evo, I think this is an excellent card to just look at as your 22nd, 23rd card for any shard combination, which is very nice to have. Um, an outlet like that. So I'm okay with this thing. I gave it a C. Um, and I, I think it is uh, honestly just your average dork. And since he can be in every color, I think that's very good. Agreed. Uh, I'm going to take this at a, as a C as well. Uh, I think the reason you're going to be wanting to play this guy is if you just want another troop at, a, at three for like curve reasons. Uh, or you maybe just want to bring him out of the reserve because you're just really weak to flyers and you just don't have a lot of other options. But uh, the card is fine, and I think this is a pretty textbook version of a card that deserves a C. So, C for me as well. Let's move on to uh, an interesting one, Matt. This is Polyberry Pouch. This is a, this is a zero-cost artifact at Uncommon, and this one says uh, basic Sacrifice this, transform target troop into a random troop with cost plus one. Uh, hmm. That's a thing, I guess. Random, uh, I know we can all agree we, we prefer to not have uh, as many random things in our deck as we can afford, but this is generally going to give you upside. Um, but I think the real question with this card, Matt, is... Is this worth a card in our deck? Yeah, that's the that's the question, and it kind of plays to me like a glyph. Um, like if if it was a glyph that did this effect, would we play it? Mm, I don't think so. Probably not. Um, yeah, I mean, you can't even really use it like offensively in in, in the way that you uh, you can't. If you're doing it to your opponent, um, you're just making their guy better on average. That that just yeah. doesn't feel good to me. So, yeah, I'm not. And you're I'm transforming as well, so they're keeping those valors on them. As yeah, well. it's not even a revert. Not reverting. Transformation. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's rough. I'm, I'm not. I'm not sold on this guy. Yeah, me neither. I think this is uh, this is honestly just an F for me. Um, you just don't want to be running this card in your deck because this is taking up a slot in the 23 playables that you're hopefully going to have. And, um, you're better suited just to have a troop or some kind of action that has an impact to the board. Yeah, I, I think you're hoping to do something much more relevant with this thing. Right. Or, I'm sorry, with a card than this. So, Yeah, I'm not I mean, a fan. Do you, do you take this for the lottery games. if your deck is just so bad? Like, to hope you hit something crazy? I guess if you're trying to, I mean, if you are open to just try to have a little fun, I guess that, I mean, I guess it's something, but right. again, it's just, it just feels very poor, so. Right. 
And we're, we're all for having fun, but when it comes to going infinite, you know, what we're all about, we're all about just kind of maximizing in uh, our wins, and you're not going to really be able to do it with a card like that. So uh, enough about that. Let's move on to uh, a resource at Common here, Matt. This is Primal Prism. And uh, this is an O1 resource, meaning uh, this is not going to allow you to use that resource that turn, but in the following turn, you will have gained uh, a resource. And uh, this one says you can choose one. Uh, you can gain your choice of any of the shards uh, of a threshold of that shard, or you can also choose to gain it a charge if you'd like. So this is kind of like a upgraded version of Shards of Fate, right, Matt? Uh, mm. This can give you a charge, and it doesn't have to be yes. in your deck. But so. remember, it still it still uh, comes into play and doesn't give you a th uh, a resource for that turn. Right. So that that's why. But this is still a upgraded version of that. Yes. Card, yeah. Right? It's it's. I would say that that's a fair assessment for this. Yes. Yeah. Um. So this is this is potentially another way to help us uh, try and get to those triple shards, and maybe we will want to run one of these even in our two shard deck, just because uh, in a pinch can use it for your second shard if you're uh, missing it at that point. But it can also just give you another chance to get to that triple that you're looking for. Um, is that? an efficient way to use this, Matt? Or uh, are we better off just running a actual shard in its place? I, I think that when you would want to use this thing is in a situation we had discussed where you are trying to um, possibly play triple threshold cards of multiple shards. Um, mm -hmm. So it lets you fix, or maybe you're trying to play like three like a three shard deck or maybe a splash. It gives you an avenue to splash. Um, it, there's a lot of things you can do with this thing. So having options is fine, but um, yeah, I'm not, I'm, I think your deck is going to really need to have that level of fixing to play this thing. Cause again, it, you aren't getting the uh, immediate resource. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, so I guess when we come to putting a grade on this card, uh, it's kind of an indication of how high you would like to pick it. So if that's the case, Matt, um, what's your grade for this, and you know how? At what point in the draft are you trying to take this? Well, uh, again, I think uh, it, dict it it is dictated how early you pick this thing based on your deck's construction thus far. So like if you're in pack one, you probably are going to wait for a little bit, and if you are a little bit later on in the game and you and you see this then uh you you kind of need a way to fix it then you've got it so um it is i think it there's too many circumstances that are going to affect your when you're going to be drafting this thing or how early or late you should be drafting this thing to actually put a uh, precise measurement on it but that being said i gave it a d um you're the the way we've discussed cards is like you you don't want to be looking for reasons to play this thing, and I think you are absolutely looking for a reason to play this thing. So 
if you find a reason to play this thing, you play it. And outside of that, I think it stays out of your deck until you find a reason to play it. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and uh, let's just move on then to Sapper's Wallbuster. Uh, this is going to be a two-cost artifact at common, and it has the ability basic, pay three, sacrifice this, deal three damage to target champion or troop. Uh, I like that tech, um, but don't know how much I love paying uh, five total for that. Uh, it is kind of nice that you can just lay this down and then activate it at your leisure, but uh, at that point, it is just a known... Uh, quantity like being on the table so your opponent can play around it um, but paying five to deal three doesn't seem all that efficient but sometimes your deck is just going to need to have that right Matt yeah sometimes you just don't have better and uh, like when we discussed the two one for three with flight um, you know if, if there if there's a hole in your deck at least it gives every uh, every deck the ability to have the way to kind of shore up the hole. Yeah. I um, hmm. Is this going to be similar to what we were just talking about in the last part in that you're going to take this just based off of how badly your deck needs it? Or do you uh, want to speculate and say this is a card that you're going to want to need to take earlier? I think, I, um, honestly, I think the metagame will kind of dictate that. Like, I don't, I don't know that I'd want to take it too early. I, I mean, I think the cost, I mean, essentially, you're, it's a five cost fireball. Um, right. That's not very good. But again, if you were in wild, where, I mean, when we looked at wild, we saw what one removal spell. So maybe it's this is. Yeah, so maybe this well, is, so. like, if you're heavy wild, maybe you have to play this thing just to have removal. Um, I mean, it's not cripplingly bad, mm-hmm. but it, it is very expensive for the effect. Yeah, I agree. So, this is the other question I think I have for you um, is, do you take this maybe a little earlier than uh, you might normally because it's keeping you open and it can, you know, regardless of where you take it, it will be able to end up in any deck that you choose to go into, any shard combination you go into. Um, I mean, I guess if you're looking at a pack and you haven't really decided like on a second shard yet or, and and you don't see anything in, in the pack that, screams like oh i want to go this is my second shard i guess you could just take this thing instead um yeah again it does leave you open because you can play it wherever you want but um i mean you're 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 paying for that right like you are paying pretty much through the nose for the ability to play it wherever you want so just keep that in mind yeah it seems to me matt that the uh a lot of the uncommons for sure but even a lot of the commons in uh, sharded uh, colors, basically, they seem to be quite strong, and I think I would be willing to just jump into them uh, for the chance at playing them, as opposed to taking a card like this. But I see a value in taking something like this to stay open. So, um, how do you want to rate it then? 
I gave it a C minus. Um, C minus. Yeah, it's hard to put anything that can remove something into D, but I I, I think you'll be able to find much more po- like potent removal or just better cards in this slot. But again, if you if you have that uh, if you just need it, if you need removal, or you feel like you're a little light on removal, or you can I mean you uh, you can always take these things and reserve them in. Uh, for decks where you need more answers, uh, you just need to kind of be careful with this thing uh, because of its prohibitive cost. Yeah, I I think the card is better than that. I um I I definitely agree that it should not be in a D range because I think that's too low for anything that has the ability to just kill a a troop. Um. I think this is going to be a C, and it's actually almost a C plus for me, just because of uh, the reasons I said earlier about being able to stay open, and I I really value that style of drafting. Um, but I guess we're just going to have to practice with this format more and see if uh, that's like a viable strategy, or if you're just going to need to commit to something a little earlier, which wouldn't surprise me either. Um, but this is just going to be a C for me from now. But uh, I could see this. I could see a card like this shifting its uh, its value a bit the more and more we get to see how the draft format plays out. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I agree. Okay. So uh, enough about that one. Let's move over to uh, a really cool card, Matt. This is the Scion of Milzad, and this is a uh, this is a five cost, and it is a artifact troop at uncommon and it's a 4-3 uh, but it has a socketable minor on it. So, uh, Major. So, did I say minor? I apologize. Yeah. Yeah, major. Big, we've, the big we've been, boy, Jim. <laughs> right? We've been saying minor so much with, uh, all, with most of the commons and uncommons so it's, it's not that often with a uh, common or uncommon uh, now that we're out of set 3 that we see uh, commons and uncommons that give you stockable majors. So, um, with the new wild and sapphire ones that either give you a troop or a uh, an action, uh, those are pretty sweet with a card like this because it's still being put on a body that is relevant, uh, not the most efficient at a, a four three for five. However, if you're able to uh, turn that into card advantage, I think that's uh, that's a pretty decent trade-off would you say oh yeah i think this thing's fantastic um yeah maybe, I agree. maybe he's a little uh more questionable in say diamond because the major gems feel a little bit more awkward but i would play him in blood if your deck is really uh underworld heavy because that underworld effect on that gem is very solid i definitely play him for the the wild and the sapphire that gives you another like gives you the card when it comes into play um I'd play him for... You could sack him to make him a 7-6, is that right? Yeah. Sack something like yeah. a Dreadling? Like, that seems pretty strong. Yeah, oh yeah. And then uh, in Ruby, you give him double damage, which is pretty funny. I don't I don't know how relevant that is, but... I mean, a 4-3 with double damage doesn't... It seems pretty scary. Yeah, it can trade with anything, or if left untouched, will hit him in the face for 8. So, I... I is it... Cool card. Yeah, he's got so many options that I I think this thing's great. I, I actually rated him pretty high for a uh, an artifact troop. 
I have as well. So everything that I was talking about when it came to uh, keeping yourself open, um, and like when I was talking about the Staffers Wallbuster, um, everything I was saying about you know leaving your options open to be able to play whatever shard you want. Like let's say you see two medium uh, cards in like something like ruby and and diamond, and you can't quite pick which one and they're on relative power levels to each other, and then you see this card, I think this card has a lot of value because you can take it and then see what you're going to be past at that point, and you know you're still going to end up with a pretty damn solid card, and in just about any situation, you're going to be able to find a way to make use of that major socket. So uh, I have this rated at a B-plus, Matt. I think this card is uh, is pretty damn quietly good. Uh, I like this one a lot. I don't think it's quietly good at any. I think it's pretty, yeah. pretty loudly good. I, I think it's I loud think this, and in- <laughs> yeah, this card is absurd. Um, okay. I also gave it a B plus. I think that it's nearly an an A minus. Uh, yeah, I would agree with you. Cool card. Um, anything else you want to say about it? Or, uh, no, I, we keep yeah, along? Let's keep going. Let's say uh, let's go to the next. Uh, Nilzan card here. This is the Sentry of Nilzan, a one-cost artifact group uh, construct at common, and it's a zero-three. Um, and it says your socketed troops in all zones have cost minus one, and so obviously that needs to be in play for that to uh, be red. So a one-cost zero-three um, seems kind of boring and pedestrian, uh, especially since a lot of the threats seem to have free attack or higher. So I don't know how realistically you're going to be able to stem the bleeding with a card like this, which is I think is one of the reasons why you'd want to play it. Um, and as far as the socketed troops having cost minus one, you know, you could potentially play this and then play like a stock. There are a couple of like common socketed troops, like at three, four, and five, and then you could play those either on turn two or three or whatever. That's, I don't know. It seems okay, but the problem is you're you're playing this card in your deck, and I just don't think this is a great card. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not too sold on this. I think your deck would have to be extremely skewed towards having socketed troops to make this thing worthwhile. Um, if it is, yeah. like, let's say that, I don't know, half your deck is socketed troops, this thing might be okay. Sure, but realistically, is uh, probably is that going to be a thing that will happen? Probably not, so I would say playing this thing is probably not happening. Yeah, seems like a trap. Um, hmm. I guess I'll, I'm going to put this at a D- because uh, at one cost, being a 0-3, if you're if your opponent's deck is just really low into the ground, at, you know at least it's it's coming down as an early blocker, and then uh, it could potentially give you a little bit of value by making things cheaper from that point on. But um, outside of that, uh, I just don't really see any use for a card like this. So this is this is going to be a B minus for me, Matt. Yeah, I agree. I, I can't imagine outside of the uh, the situation that I mentioned that you're playing this thing or getting any value out of it. So I, I also gave it a D minus. Okay. Uh, we got a couple more here. Next up is the shambling junker. This is a three cost artifact troop robot at uncommon. Uh, and it's a one, one. And he says, when this enters play, it gets plus one, plus one. 
for each artifact in your crypt. Uh, it also has the secret text of uh, you may not uh, have any scrounge cards in your deck. It doesn't actually say that. I'm just being facetious. But uh, obviously, this is just a burden to have, I think, in a scrounge deck or in a deck where you're playing maybe probably more than one scrounge card. Would you agree with that? Um, I, I so, think you're going to have to be a little bit more uh, tricky with your scrounges if you're playing something like this, but I don't think they absolutely negate each other. But I think that the the reason to place... Well, let me, let me take that back. We, we have talked about how unlimited scrounge is going to just happen naturally uh, without like specific enablers like Dreadlings, but... This deck or this card is looking for dreadlings like a bit more specifically, right? Uh, but not just that; other other things as well, like other Nilzan stuff like that. Uh, but I think that the idea here is that you're going to be filling your crypt up with um, dreadlings, so that then you can play this, and then it's going to be like a three-three or four-four, even a five-five for three. Which I mean, those all that seems fine. Um, I don't know. I just. I think this card's okay. Uh, I really need to be a Dreadling-specific deck, I think, for this card. I don't think this is a card that you could just include into a, a deck that just has a random couple of Dreadling generators. I want, I want like, a decent amount of them. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. What are your thoughts on it? I think that if you're playing enough Dreadlings or you're playing like maybe a Dreadling champion, that this thing is going to be very good. Um, the thing that yeah. makes him good and the thing I th guess is why I, I'm not too worried about Scrounge is that a lot of our better Scrounge guys are in the four-ish area, like three or four, mm -hmm. and this guy is also three. So if you happen to hit like a Dreadling or two or three, like I, I think realistically you can get three or four by turn four, and then you have a four or five power dude for three costs. I think that's very, very good. Uh, especially if you're playing the champion, I think it's... I mean, even... I, I guess even a... Even if this is like a three-cost four-four, I think that's very good. Like, we played uh, the Bonewalker, right? I think this is very different. I don't honestly um, I think in the deck that you're playing him it's just like just like Bonewalker the Bonewalker is awful outside of Uzu I think in the same way this guy is going to be checking for a dreadling champion and for a, very, a, a heavier dreadling deck and if you have him then this guy is going to be very very good hmm I I don't know I like I like the Bonewalker wide a bit more than I like this. And I, I get your point about them being in specific strategies and being kind of junky outside of those strategies. But I liked the Bonewalker a lot more because it was doing something that uh, on its own to, in order to gain power that you just naturally want to do in that deck, which is to uh, get up to uh, four to five different types of shards uh, for your threshold. Where this thing... It's it, it's like you're kind of having, not necessarily going out of your way, but I, I, I guess that in your deck, your dreadling deck, you're already going to want to be doing that. 
I just, I really think you're not putting enough emphasis, Matt, on the one of the biggest reasons to be playing Dreadlings is to really make use of scrounge. And I think you're going to be uh, aggressively using that scrounge and then you're going to top deck this thing and it's just going to be really mediocre. And so I just, I, I really don't think this is going to be in the same camp as um, power level wise as like the Bonewalkers were in the uh, Uzu deck. So I don't know. I could be wrong about that. Um, but that's my stance on it right now. Uh, I did play it and I did, it was, it was okay. I, I'm, I'm not saying I hate the card. I just, I just don't think it's quite as powerful personally. How do you, uh, any, any, what else do you want to say about it or do you want to put a grade on it? Oh yeah. Uh, I gave it a C plus, um, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying. Yes, if you have, if you're very scrounge heavy, this thing's not going in your deck. But I don't. I think that 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 doesn't negate its power. I don't think that scrounge existing makes this guy bad or oh, unplayable. That's, you just yeah, have to. That's you have not to my understand argument. Understand what your deck's balance is. If you're balanced more towards scrounge than dreadlings, you don't play this guy. And if you have if you have a decent amount of repeatable dreadling generation, I think this thing's more than playable. I, I But then like my whole uh, point is like if you have a decent amount of dreadling generators, why you know, what's the point? It's not like those things are really doing a whole lot on their own. Like they, they're good when they're coupled with ground. And also assault as well, don't get me wrong. But there aren't honestly like there are a lot less assault cards than there are um scrounge cards. So I don't know. I just I just feel like it's pulling, it's pushing and pulling in awkward ways on what your deck is trying to do. And I just I don't know. I I have it at a C. So I we're you know after all that argument, we're still kind of close on it as far as our rating goes. I just I just have some quibbles about the card, and I'm just uh, you know I'm I'm willing to be proven wrong, but uh, until then, I'm I'm going to value this at a C. Anything else, Matt? No, I think... I mean, again, I understand your point. I just... I think that... Just like Scrap, look at your deck to understand if this thing is playable or not. And I think that when it is playable, it's going to be quite strong. Okay. Fair. Uh, let's keep moving here, Matt. We have Tanker Truck is the... I'm sorry, Tanker Trunk is the next card. This is a six-cost. An artifact troop robot beast at common. It's a 4-3. Uh, and this says, when a troop you control attacks, if this is in your hand, this gets cost minus one. So if you remember back to our Ruby uh, set review, this is basically the exact same thing as the Ayataki Brute, except for it costs two more, but it does not have any kind of threshold requirement. Uh, and we, I think we both thought the Ayataki uh, Brute Brute was a solid card, especially in aggressive decks. And uh, even being a four cost, like four three, was still acceptable in a lot of cases. And then anytime you're able to get it cheaper than that, uh, fantastic. But I think this this card misses the mark a little bit in that regard uh, because you're going to be times when you're just not able to attack profitably, and so this thing is going to be sitting in your hand at a six cost and. I, it's just really not that acceptable to be playing at six cost four three. So, uh, I mean, I know you'll have to sometimes just because you don't really have any other choices. But um, it, it's 
you should really be striving to do better. And I uh, think that that that's going to be a big issue. Just the extra two costs on this thing. Um, or am I am I missing the mark here, Matt? Am am, am I? Uh, do I have blinders on because I'm thinking about the brute too much? No, I think that I think that's the reason that I think that's the exact argument I was going to make. It's like you you see the other assault guys and they typically either were much bigger or had some kind of uh, ability that kind of mitigated that. That for example, um, like the the guy we saw with flight that was really big. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the thing that I guess when we talked about when we talked Siege Siege Sore, the the seven five guy, we weren't too mm-hmm. big on that guy in particular, and I feel like this is exactly the same except for worse. I think this is much worse than that card. Um, but I I guess our uh, next question should be is if we are just looking to put another troop in our deck, especially in like Evo Sealed. Is this going to be an acceptable play, or should we just be avoiding this card altogether? I think personally, I will be trying to avoid this card altogether. I think that is not what I'm looking for at its cost. I mean, even if you can sneak it out, it's still only a four-three. I mean, yeah. agreed. It just—I don't know. I, I think it just seems a little bit too weak to be playing it. I mean, again. If push comes to shove, you need a 23rd card, you're going to play it, but you're not going to feel good about playing this thing, I right. don't think. And that would put it into a D category, uh, I think, for me, Matt. But I uh, one one last question before you give your grade. Do you? What about in um, kind of an opposite situation? What if we were talking about a very hyper-aggressive deck that's going like small and wide? Does that improve this thing's value? Just because uh, you know your gameplay is really going to be all about going wide and attacking and hitting assault will be pretty easy um, I, I think it makes this card a little bit better I don't know I think you still are looking for other cards yeah I agree I, I'm gonna agree with you I just wanted to uh, bring that question up really yeah interesting. Well, I, th- I think it's something you should look at I mean when you're evaluating cards you should look at pretty much every possible avenue for getting it to work right like you don't want to just say oh this thing's unplayable and not truly look at possible ways to make it do something else i just don't think this card in particular i just don't think there's much mobility to it i think it's just going to be a four three and how much you pay for your four three is what is up for debate and vanilla four three is it's okay but unless it's unless you're getting it out for super cheap like when we were looking at like some of the the wild guys that were extremely cheap um i i just i'm not a big fan of this thing especially like when we were talking like later in the game and you top deck this thing, it just feels awful. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, so what was your grade? Your final like, grade I gave it a D. D as well. Okay. Let me uh, move on here, Matt. Uh, next card is Tinkertron. Uh, this is actually going to be our last card since we already did uh, cover the Underworld Decree. So, Matt, we've, uh, we've almost made it. This is the Tinkertron. This is a three-cost artifact troop. At uh, It's a robot, and it's at Uncommon. Uh, and it's got a lot of effects on it. This is a 2-2 two, two for three. And it has three abilities. They are all one-shots. Uh, and they all exhaust. So the first one would be one-shot, exhaust this, gain one slash zero. So you're gaining a temporary 
uh, resource. So that will end on at the end of your opponent's turn. Uh, and then the next one uh, would be gain a charge. And then the next one is gain a threshold of your choice. So um, this is another one of these cards where it kind of does a little of everything. Um, not like particularly that efficiently, but it still does it them all like to an acceptable degree. And I think that generally makes for a playable a decent card maybe i don't i don't know exactly how good it'll be but um i think this card is fine what do you think since this card does so many things i think it's hard to really grade it uh personally i i've a little conflicted on this thing uh this is actually a card we talked about i've talked about previously um just because it has all these options i think that it is a card that you can definitely include, and it is a it, it is short it is a, it has no threshold, so you can put it wherever you want. Um, it's it is it is kind of weird that you can only do each once. So once you've done everything, uh, he's just a, he's just a two two dork. So, um, but if if you did get all three of the abilities off, I think you got more than your value for it. Yeah, I agree. Even if uh, you just get like two of them off of it, it's still probably going to be worth the cost at that point. Um, but what I think the strength in this card lies is it is its versatility. And so um, at any given board state or like just uh, any type of hand you have, this is most likely going to be able to do something, especially since it is colorless. So you'll be able to come down and make a play and then uh, be able to do whatever you need to do to be able to make your next play happen, uh, whether that be gaining a threshold, gaining a temporary resource, or a chart. Like I, I just, I kind of like that. Um, I think this is going to be a fine card. I don't think I'm going to take it that highly, but uh, I don't think I'll mind running one of these most of the time, unless I'm in like a super aggressive deck that has a much more focused game plan. I think like in maybe a little bit of slower and mid rangier type decks, I think this is going to be a little better. But um, this thing is going to be a little above average for me, and I, I have this at a C-plus, Matt. Yeah, I think I, that's actually exactly where I put it. I give it a C-plus as well. I think that uh, he's just because of all the different things he can do, he's a little bit above average. Um, I, I think he's very interesting. I, I'll be curious to see how people uh, use him or in what decks they or think that this is uh, what they're going to play, or if just everybody is fine with using this guy. Yeah, I agree. So uh, that does it, Matt. We have made it all the way through every single common and uncommon in Hero Fall. Um, it took us a while, and it took us a couple of days to get this all recorded, but I'm, I'm really glad we did, and this has helped me a ton just talking uh, this out and uh, with you, Matt. I've definitely changed my opinion on some cards uh, through discussing them with you and even with just kind of like vamping out loud and talking about the cards myself like it's, it's helped me kind of put them into some perspective I think uh, so I really hope that our listeners are able to uh, glean as much information off it as I have and I, I hope you have as well Matt but um, this looks like a really awesome high powered set that's going to be a lot of fun and I cannot wait I don't know about you Matt 
two days. <laughs> two days. I mean, yeah, we're almost there. Yeah, we're By right the time there. people are listening to this, it will most likely have already been out or are just about to come out. But uh, we'll I'll be fighting um, to get on the servers probably when people are listening to this. Right. But um, I hope that uh, I, I'm going to wish good luck to all the Cosmic Showdown players, uh, including myself and yourself, Matt. And uh, hopefully we can make it to the top eight. And uh, we haven't given away too many of our trade secrets in this uh, in this podcast. Um, but for those who are uh, especially like constructed players who are um, – maybe not quite as familiar with drafting as some of the others, then I hope that this has helped you if you have listened to it. And, uh, uh, or, you know, even just for climbing the limited ladders, I hope this helped a lot too. Um, it was kind of interesting, Matt, going through the set review this time, knowing the full impact of Evo Sealed and the ladder, where we didn't really have the full grasp of what that was going to be like when we did our last set review. But it changed the way I kind of valued and thought about cards just because... Um, I think we primarily were talking about draft, and I think that's where most of the value comes uh, from listening to these, but there's definitely some more emphasis on Evo in the way I thought about the cards, just because knowing that that is going to be the the most efficient way to climb the limited ladder, and I think that um, it was just an interesting way to think about cards. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that... Um... The way that the the ladder has kind of played out, um, a lot of people are finding themselves grinding on the Evo because either they don't they can't get drafts to fire, and I, I think that this that's much more a uh, result of we're at the end of set four when this ladder came out, and now that we're going to be at the beginning of set five, I think the drafts are going to fire much more quickly. So that that may very well may change how this ladder plays out too. Yeah, I hope you're right. Um... So, uh, any any final words before we uh, wrap this up, Matt? No, I'm I'm just excited to get my hands on this stuff. Yeah, I am too. Um, one last time, I just want to thank all the people who uh, stuck it out and and uh, listened to the entire set review with us. And uh, I hope you didn't do it all at once. But uh, uh, I wish everyone good luck. Uh, on the ladder and for this upcoming season and uh, and we look forward to hearing from you uh, hearing from you and uh, let us know what you think about these set reviews and how we can improve them how we can make them better uh, I know that we are going to be focusing on trying to cut them down a bit and uh, we uh, we're just going to have to figure out how to do that but if anyone has any uh, any advice any constructive criticism or uh, even negative we'll, we'll listen to any and all of it but uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Let's Draft Hacks, or you can also just search for Going Infinite. Uh, you can find me in-game. My name is Identikit, um, and you can also find me on Twitch as PSYII. Uh, Matt, you want to let them know how they can find you? Uh, you can find me at uh, my team Blowstuck on Twitch, HexDucklet at gmail.com. Um, I typically am checking what's going on on Twitter on our Let's draft hex Twitter. Uh, but I think I think that's pretty much everywhere. Cool. Well, uh, thanks again for listening, and we will talk to you again soon.